I was stirred about the whole book of Galatians, so I went back and started studying the whole book. I'd done it anyway in the heart of chapter 3. So I started uh, reading again. So I preached on Galatians chapter 1, and I preached on Galatians chapter 2. So that meant I had already started with 3 and preached on 3, 1, 2. This Sunday morning, I was going to preach on Galatians chapter 4. It's a fascinating chapter. I got into it, and I found myself finding some supporting scriptures from other places. And as I, as I found those supporting scriptures from other places, I um, was more drawn to the scriptures in the other places than I was to Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. So I got more involved in those scriptures and interested in them and fascinated by them and suddenly realized I'm supposed to preach on these scriptures this morning rather than on Galatians chapter 4. It is connected because I was using these scriptures to correlate with some of the scriptures in Galatians 4. So I'll get back to that at some point in time, um, probably starting again with that next Sunday. But right now, I want to share with you a message that, uh, that I really feel like the Lord has put on my heart. It is called Chosen by God. And, you know, I told you I was having some uh, uh, complexities with my uh, restoring things, putting my computer back together, getting my printer to work, and doing all the things that were... Uh, um, enable me to get up and get ready to come to church today, <laughs> including my car and the time change and all the things. And so and so, I'm going back to looking at my notes on a tablet this morning. And you have to be very careful with a tablet, as you know, because if you touch the page the wrong way, it'll jump any kind of direction. So I hope that won't do that to my mind this morning as I share with you from uh, First Peter, chapter two, and uh, it's 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 beautiful looking right in front of me right now. Very clear, very bright, easy to see. But I know enough to know about a tablet. If I touch the wrong place, I'll be on page three instead of page one. So, bear with me this morning, please, if you will, as I share with you, chosen by God. I welcome you to open your Bible to 1 Peter. That will be the primary place that I bring you scriptures. I will bring another couple of, but everything I say this morning will essentially be based in the first epistle of Peter. And I know that uh, that, that will be uh, that this will be an encouragement and a blessing to you to see it. So now that I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at my uh, at one tablet and I have another one. Somebody's been up here and played with my Bible. You don't have to do that. You can buy one for $10 out in the lobby. It's the same thing. Okay. <laughs> I've been feeling around for this thing. I've been way back in the back. Wow, what a day. Mm. I'll tell you, folks, I don't have very many days that I like this, and I thank God for that. But when I, when I brought my tablet this morning, this is a different tablet. This is a... Microsoft Surface Pro 3. 
I also intended to bring my iPad, which is where I usually read the scriptures from. Much clearer, easier for me to read, especially since I've got to hold a microphone in my hand. However, there are a lot of howevers in life. However, I um, walked out and brought one tablet and didn't bring the other one. I don't know if it's because I didn't know where it was or what the reason was, but in any way, it doesn't matter. Because I've read out of the printed Bible many, many times for many, many years, and I can do it again today. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and then I'll pray, and I'm going to talk really about 1 Peter chapter 2. So here we go. First, Lord, I pray that you'll help me today. I thank you for all this confusion, Lord, because it helped me to appreciate times when there is none. And I just pray that you'll bring us through all of this and help me to speak clearly to these folks this morning so this message from your word, God, can be a blessing that you have intended it to be. And I know you've directed my heart to speak it. And I'll do it to your glory and with your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. So First Peter is writing to a group of dispersed Jews who have left Jerusalem and their homeland for various reasons, some family, cultural, business, education, whatever reason they left. They're scattered in various parts of the world. And Peter's writing his letter to a group of Jews who were in various places. They were called the dispersion. And this is what Peter wrote to them. First Peter, starting at chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now his message is Jesus Christ to this group of Jews. These Jews had, had been saved, but of course he was reaching out to many others who had not yet come to Christ and embraced him as their Savior. To those who are the elect exiles, among the Jews they were elect exiles, of the dispersion, who were, since they were spread out in many different places, the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now that's Peter's introduction of his epistle to these Jews who were spread out in various places throughout the world. And he makes it very clear that he's talking about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. He starts out saying that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he speaks in the latter part of this verse, this, this verse that I just read, and speaks of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's a significant statement to any group of Jews whose lives were bound up in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament was full of a message of the sprinkling of blood. As they offered sacrifices in the temple and on various occasions in different places, it was always a sacrifice of blood that was primarily the way that they approached God the Father. That's what he had ordained. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God slew the first animal, made the first animal sacrifice, and shed the first blood to cover sins. And thereafter, God set up a plan that always spoke through blood, through sacrifice, through death, vicarious giving up of life to bring the message of life in the way that God determined to do it. All of that was a precursor. It was a sign. It was a, it was a statement that 
there is a time coming when the final sacrifice will be offered, the final price will be paid, and that will end the sacrifices because it will be the one sacrifice made once and for all for the sins of all. The writer of Hebrews makes that very, very clear to the Jewish Christians. And so then he comes over and continues to write to them. And, 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 and as he continues to write, this uh, epistle is divided into chapters and verses. All of them are so we can better find the places we want to refer to. He goes into what we call chapter 2. And in chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, You yourselves, and he's still talking to these elect Jews who have been dispersed from Jerusalem and from, from, uh, from Israel. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, to a Jew who understands the Old Testament economy and covenant, this is a very significant statement. It is as well to us, for we also understand through the teaching that we've had over the years, the Old Testament economy, the covenant, which was the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, we've come to understand by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, and we see the power of these words as well. But think about now how this strikes someone who is far from home, far from their temple, far from the center of their worship. He is writing to them and he says, You, you who have come to put faith in Jesus Christ, are being built up. You yourselves are living stones. And you're built up into a spiritual house. And of course, this is a spiritual house. It is not a house made with hands. It's not a structure of stone and cement and wood. It is a spiritual house, and the stones that make up the building of that house, the spiritual stones, are the very people of God that Peter is writing to. And he says these things purposefully to them. So they are to be, and this is very, very important, it's for them and for us, they are to be a holy priesthood. Again, still in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. They are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, not the Old Testament sacrifices, not the animals, not the bulls and goats and lambs whose blood was shed, but spiritual sacrifices are to be offered. That are, these spiritual sacrifices are to be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, I want you to know where we stand now, in this very same place that God wants to build out of us a spiritual house, an edifice for his glory that declares the praise of his name. And the Old Testament people were advised that now we're moving beyond the old economy into the new economy. This is what Peter wants them to see, and it's, we, and, and it's what Paul wanted the Galatians to see, for very, very good reasons, because they were being torn away from the way of grace and the way of Calvary, pulled back into the Old Testament. But the final sprinkling of blood was made when Jesus' blood was shed, taken into the eternal holy of holies in the presence of God, presented on the altar of God as the one-time sacrifice, once and for all, Hebrew says, he entered into the holiest place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
what Jesus did for us. He fulfilled all the law, all the Old Testament, all the sacrifices of the past, and enabled us now to become a spiritual household based on the sprinkling of Jesus' blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Now he goes on to say, well, let, me, let me give you this to you in another translation. This is kind of helpful to me. That very same verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. This one, the, the, I like for you to know it's a different translation when I say that because my, really my study is based in the English Standard Version, which is the day's version of the old King James Version. I've told you that numbers of times. But this is from the New Living Translation, and it helps me a little bit when I read it. It's, this is the same verse, verse 5. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. That's us, and that's the Jews of the dispersion. What's more, you are God's holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Now, this becomes important as you follow what I'm teaching you this morning. And let me get further and further into this. It's extremely important that through the mediation, through the intercession, through his place as the Son of God standing between us and Father God, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifices, not the Old Testament sacrifices, that's gone, but the sacrifice of Paul's day and Peter's day and of our day now, the sacrifices that are spiritual sacrifices that we are using to build a spiritual house that pleases God and brings glory to God. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Now, he goes on to say that... Um, that um, we are an unusual collection of God's chosen. Let me tell you how he puts it. This is the same chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, very important, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the transformation of our lives. All of that that God planned for the centuries past and declared, declared that it was his plan as they constantly shed blood and offered sacrifices, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it is the death of Jesus and his resurrection that makes it possible for us as spiritual stones, as living stones, to build a spiritual house in this New Testament covenant for the glory of God and following his plan to be surrendered and submitted to him again, all because of the shedding of his blood that has brought us into the living presence of the living God. Now, it's an honor to be chosen, you know, and God says that we're chosen race. If you read the King James, some people like the King James Version because it says that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And we like to have that little bit of help there that says that we're peculiar. Because that gives us something to fall back on. You know, like the 
like the old Quaker said as he was standing by the fence talking to his neighbor, his best friend. He said, everybody is peculiar except me and thee. And sometimes I wonder about thee. But peculiar doesn't mean peculiar in the sense that we know it odd, off base, off kilter, a little bit maybe on the strange side. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying that we are a chosen people, a people of God for God's own possession. We are the ones that he chose to be distinct, to be different, to stand apart, to be individuals, not with our own message, but individuals as he makes us different stones to build up the house of God, the spiritual house of God. So this is a very important thing for us to understand. And Peter makes it very clear. So here's what he says. He says that we are a chosen race, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So God has chosen us. It's an honor to be chosen. It's always an honor to be chosen. Do you remember what it was like when you were playing baseball and they had to choose up sides? And you, and you were standing there saying, oh, don't let me be the last one. Don't let me be the last one chosen. Don't let me be the last one. And sometimes you were the last one chosen. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. In the economy of God, when God chooses, we're chosen. And I want you to understand, when, when I say this, I'm not saying that God chooses certain people to be saved and certain people not to be saved. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that everybody who has come to him has come to him because God has chosen to reach out to us and bring us to him. God's reaching out to a lot of people who are not coming to him. He's reaching out to some of you who haven't come to him. He's trying to get you to make your life wrapped up in Christ and the salvation through his blood and to live daily in the victory of the Lord, to live a separate life, a declarative life, a holy life that God wants you to live according to his word. You haven't done it yet. So God's chosen you. You just haven't accepted the calling that God placed on your life to live in salvation. You can do that at any time, and you can do it today, as long as God is still dealing with you to bring you to him. And God sometimes does that in our lives for a long, long time. We should not be presumptive about it and think that it will always continue, but we should recognize God with praise and declare we know, Lord, that you are calling me and that I want to accept that calling and walk as you walk serving you. Later on, Peter says that very same thing in this chapter, that we walk in his steps when we come to him, that his desire for us, that we walk with him and that we walk in his steps. In the light of the new covenant, in the light of the resurrection, in the light of the revelation of the Spirit of God to make us a spiritual household, not tied to nor attached to the anchors of the past, the Old Testament, Old ways, old teachings, old, old design. I'm not saying that all things old or bad. I'm saying that when it comes under the covenant of the Old Testament, that is gone. And that enables us now in the power of the new covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit, to live our lives in victory. To live our lives as spiritual people, as spiritual stones building the house of God. We could not do that any more than the people of the Old Testament could do it if God hadn't changed the order through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. 
That makes it possible for you and me to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be living stones, building up the house of God, the temple of God, the spiritual dwelling of God in this world. You and I are called to do that. Hallelujah. Praise God for it. And, and, and I'm going to go back to two things now. I'm going to go back to verse 5, the first one I started in, and point out to you that there Peter said to those people, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. This is significant to Jews who knew the Old Testament. Knowing the Old Testament, it ought to be very significant to us as well. And then what he said was, in, uh, in uh, verse 9, four verses later, he says the same thing over again. You're a chosen generation, a chosen, chosen race, and a royal priesthood. So you and I, my friends, I want to say this to you very clearly. You and I are the priests of God. Have I, have I faded? You and I... Are the priests of God? Somebody help me. They got three people helping me. Somebody, whoever, whoever's the first one, I'll take. I'll take. Check, 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 check. Preachers never give up. They don't quit. Real preachers just keep on going no matter what. <laughs> Where was I? The royal priesthood. You and I are the priests of God. Now, that was significant if you said that to a Jew who was, based, who, who was connected with the Old Testament. Because to him, that was a priest. You had to be born in the right tribe to be a priest. You had to have an assignment to be a priest. They rotated the priests in the temple. Some people were on duty certain times. They were off duty. They were on duty. And only once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies. So... There are limitations on, on being priests, but not everybody, no matter how much you wanted to be a priest in the Old Testament, no matter how much you wanted to preach and serve God and go in and, and, and help with the sacrifices and do all the things in the temple, it didn't matter. Because if you were not of the tribe of Levi, you were not a priest. You couldn't be a priest. That's why, and I digress for a moment just to tell you, that's why it's so important the high priesthood of Jesus is, is, is to be glorified in the name of God because Jesus is a high priest not according to the Levitical system, not according to the Old Testament, because he didn't qualify for that. He is a priest by divine appointment of Father God, just like Melchizedek was before the law was ever given. That's why the Hebrew says he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's not after the order of Levi. He is not a, Jesus is not an Old Testament priest. He's a new covenant priest with a new message, with a new salvation, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the glory of God and the promises of God forever for the future. Jesus is that high priest. And you and I are a part of that priesthood. He's the high priest, and we're the priests under him. Get that now. That's important so you can come to God. You can reach out and touch God. You don't need a priest to help you get to God. I'm not a priest except for myself and my family. Don't call me father unless you're my son or daughter. I'm not father. I'm pastor. 
We don't have any priests in this fellowship except you. Because you're the royal priesthood. You're the priest made so by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus and called as that priest. You don't need, you don't need anybody to help you get to God. And aren't you glad at midnight when something happens and you need God, you don't have to get hold of me when I've turned off my cell phone and covered up my head with my pillow. You don't have to get hold of me to make sure you can get through to God. You can come right on up and say, Lord, it's me. You don't have to say, Pastor Bill said it was all right. He prayed for me. He, 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 he said it's okay for me to come. I tried to get through him, but I couldn't, but he told me it was all right for me. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is come and say, Lord, here I am. It's me. You know me, Lord. And you don't need a priest to talk for you. You don't need somebody else as your intermediary. That's Jesus. He's the high priest. You're a priest under him, and all you have to do is come to him and come to God the Father in his name. Hallelujah. That opens every door for you into the very presence of God. We are a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. And he wants us to bring the living sacrifices that bring honor to his name. So what kind of sacrifices are we going to bring? We're not going to bring lambs and slay them and sprinkle the blood. because That's already been done and finally done at Calvary. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to do just what the apostle said when he wrote to the Romans. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this ought to make Romans chapter 12, verse 1, more significant to you than ever. Here's the sacrifice that we, the priesthood, the, the new covenant priesthood, not bringing our unblemished lambs, not bringing the goats or the heifers, for the spreading of the, for the sprinkling of the blood, knowing that's all past, New Testament priests come into the presence of the living God, because the blood of Jesus has already been shed once and for all to give us entrance into the presence of God the Father. So many ways I could illustrate this to you. Everything from the rending of the veil when Jesus cried, "It is finished," and the work was done, and the way into the very holy of holies is opened up, into the book of Hebrews where. Paul makes it clear again and again and again that we have access to God and we have access through the blood of Jesus, who is a superior sacrifice. He's a superior priest. He's superior in all things, is what Hebrews declares. And in all of that, we are brought along with him as priests to God, as a part of that priesthood that has been dedicated to bring the sacrifice of ourselves into the presence of God, laying ourselves on the altar of God, giving ourselves up to God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, for that is our, and get this, that is our spiritual worship. I know the King James says, Seat you therefore, brethren, my mercy of God, that you give yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And it is reasonable service, but every translation gives a clearer view of this. And it is your 
true worship or your spiritual worship. Giving ourselves, how, what, what does it mean to make ourselves a sacrifice on the altar of God? It means that that is true spiritual worship when we give ourselves up as a sacrifice on the altar of God. That's true spiritual worship. I know that we think a lot of things about worship, and I'm not disparaging any element of that which brings us into the presence of God. Please understand that. No disparaging comment about it. But you can worship without singing. You can worship without music. You can worship without clapping your hands. You can worship without being in a church building. But you cannot worship without bringing yourself as a true spiritual sacrifice to the altar of God. Whether you're singing or playing an instrument or preaching the word or talking about it one to another, whatever it is, your true spiritual worship is giving yourself up. Giving yourself up as a sacrifice to a holy God. Your life given into the hands of God to be God's child, God's servant, God's messenger, God's anointed, God's chosen, to be God's person. That's what your spiritual worship is, to give yourself up to the will of God, to live in the will of God fully, totally, completely, with the light of the Holy Spirit every single day of your life. That's your spiritual worship. And without that, it is not worship. Singing the song is not what worship is. Giving ourselves up as we sing, that's the worship. The worship isn't listening to the beautiful music. Again, I'm saying nothing negative about that. I'm saying that's not the worship. The worship is while we listen to it and while our spirits are lifted up, we give ourselves to up to God as a total sacrifice to Him. God, what is your will? What is your plan? What is your purpose? What is your desire for me? What can I do to please you? As Paul said, he, do we are to discern what pleases God. And then what pleases God, we do. And in doing that, we're giving ourselves up as a sacrifice to Him totally, completely. And then we're engaged in spiritual worship. I love the altar. I, I love the altar. I love our altar right here. I'm glad that we have this altar. It, it's, uh, it's, it's not anything that is... Uh, Sacred in and of its own. In other words, there's, there's nothing sacred about this wood. If you would come up here and chip out a piece of it and take it home with you and pray with it in your hand every night, it wouldn't draw you any closer to God. You know, a lot of people think a lot of things are drawn closer to God. They think prayer shawls are drawn closer to God. They think having their own anointing all with them, and every time they pray, anointing themselves with drawing closer to God. All these is for the purpose of getting closer to God. They think that doing all different kinds of things, whatever, some idea that the enemy is used to distract you from the true spiritual message. They think that will bring them closer to God. But it won't. Because the only thing that is spiritually sacred is the presence of God. And God's presence come to us as we scripturally worship him in spirit, and spiritually draw near to Him. That's what our true worship is. So if you want to really, truly worship God, you will do it according to God's terms, because this is what He wants from you. 
You see, I'm going to stop on that point. If you didn't get it by now, you won't get it anyway. So, <laughs> I'm going to move on and come to the final part of this. He says we're his people. He made it very, very clear, Peter did, that we are his people. We're chosen, a chosen generation. The Bible says, did you know that the Bible says you cannot come to the Lord? You can't come to God, God the Father unless you're drawn. You can't come to Jesus unless you're drawn by the Holy Spirit. When you come to him, you're drawn by the Holy Spirit to come to him. So don't disparage that God's pulling on your heart to do something you're not quite ready to do yet. Make up your mind to be ready to do it and start doing it. That's the answer. Because if you restrain that Holy Spirit too long, that presence of God that is strong will become weaker and weaker and weaker in drawing upon you, and you do not want that to happen. You want to move when God calls you. We're chosen, called into the, into the will of God, into the plan of God, into the purpose of God, and we're his people. Now go back over to the Old Testament. Second Chronicles, you know this verse very, you know it very well. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people... They're speaking in the Old Testament, but I've already declared for, clarified for you in preaching for the last few weeks that what he said to the people in the Old Testament, he is saying to us if we have become sons of Abraham and heirs of God. So it's to us as well. If my people, which is all of us, the ones who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. I told you not long ago that promises in the Bible are with conditions. Here's a condition which, if we meet, has a promise. The condition is, if God's people, if God's people, called by his name, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then God will do something. God promises, if we meet those conditions, God says, then... I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal the land. I will give them abundance and victory and glory if they will do what I ask them to do. That's the spiritual house of God. That's the worship of the true God. What I've been preaching about in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, is declarative in the Old Testament. There is a place that we come to where we worship God, and if we want to be in His presence, live in His presence to recognize that he is with us all times, wherever we go and whatever is happening, that we are in the presence of God. What we have to do is engage in our spiritual worship, which is giving ourselves up as a sacrifice on the altar of the Spirit in the throne room of God. Lord, I am yours, here to do your will, here to please you, here to walk with you, here to glorify you, here to testify for you, here to magnify you. I am here as your servant, Lord, giving myself up a sacrifice to worship you. I give myself away. And that's it, my friends. That's it. I want you to bow your heads with me in prayer.